The reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be together this morning. I certainly missed being with you last week. Appreciate Michael for filling in for me. I know that he did a great job. But every time I'm gone on the Lord's Day and we're not able to be together, I miss you. And I'm thankful to be together today. We're going to be in Matthew, the ninth chapter. If you have your Bible and you'd like to follow along with me, appreciate that being read so well for us. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 9. And if you'll join me this morning in verses 9 through 13, that's where we're going to be studying together Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. The blessed gospel is for all. The gospel is for all. Where sin is gone must go is grace. The gospel is for all. We just sang those words together. I appreciate Jeff leading us in that song. But perhaps we need to reflect for just a few minutes. Do we actually believe that? And I'm not just talking about we collectively. I'm talking about you and I'm talking about me. Do you, do I actually believe that the gospel is for all? What about those who are struggling with addiction? Those who are addicted to drugs, those who are addicted to alcohol, what about those who are addicted to pornography? Do you believe that the gospel is for them? What about those who are part of the LGBTQ plus community? What about those who are the most active voices in that community? Do you actually believe that the gospel is for them? What about those who are behind bars? Those who are in jail, those who are in prison, those who have done terrible things. I'm talking about murderers, I'm talking about thieves, I'm talking about rapists and pedophiles and terrorists. The list could go on and on. Do you actually believe in your heart that the gospel is for them? What about those who are living in poverty, who we oftentimes look down on? What about those who are caught up in generational trauma? They're stuck in negative generational cycles that are so difficult to break. What about those people who are begging for different things on the side of the road and the first thought that comes to our minds is that person needs to go get a job. Do you actually believe that the Gospel is for them? What about that person that you just can't get along with? You can't stand to be in the same room as this person. What about that person who has really hurt you? That person who has really hurt your family? Do you believe that the Gospel is for them? 
What about yourself? You might be tempted to look at your life and to think something like, Jesus would never want me. Jesus would never desire me. Look at the mess that I've made. Look at all the sins that I've committed. Look at all the terrible things that I've done. Jesus Christ, the Holy One of God, would never be interested in somebody like me. Do you believe that the Gospel is for you? The blessed Gospel is for all. The Gospel is for all. Where sin is gone must go is grace. The Gospel is for all. We, we could sing those words every time that we come together as the body of Christ, but if we don't actually believe them, we're not going to get anywhere. If we don't actually believe them, then we are not able to be who God wants us to be. Do we actually believe that the Gospel is for all? Or in our minds, is it something like this? The Gospel is for some. The Gospel is for most. The Gospel is for those who have their lives completely together. The Gospel is for those who can stand on their own two feet in absolute sinless perfection. Do we ever view ourselves as the gatekeepers? Those who control, those who go in and out. Do we ever try to control those who approach Jesus in faith, repentance, confession, and baptism? Do we ever draw lines that Jesus Christ Himself has not drawn? Do you believe that the Gospel is for all? If the Gospel is truly for all, do you know what that means? If the Gospel is for all, that means that the Gospel is for sinners. It's like what Paul talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. In other words, Paul says, I'm about to tell you something that you can rely on. I'm about to tell you something that you can trust. This is a truth that you can plant both feet on and it's going to be firm. Here's something that's deserving of full acceptance. If we were to go around and vote on this claim that Paul's about to make, he says everybody should be raising their hand in favor of it. This is a saying, it's trustworthy, it's deserving of full acceptance. What is it? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul says, of whom I am the foremost. Of whom I am the chief. That is exactly what we're talking about this morning in Matthew chapter 9. Over the last couple months, we've been focused on this invitation from Jesus, follow me. Jesus wants us to follow after Him. Jesus invites us every day to follow in His footsteps. What I want us to see this morning from Matthew 9, verses 9-13, through 13, is that that invitation from Jesus, follow me, is an invitation that is for sinners. Jesus invites sinners to follow after Him. Jesus invites sinners to follow in His footsteps. Really, that's the first idea that we see from this text. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9, we learn that Jesus invites sinners. Looking at verse 9, Jesus actively seeks out a man named Matthew. Jesus pursues and approaches a man named Matthew. The other gospel accounts call him Levi. What is Matthew's profession? What is Matthew's occupation? He's a tax collector. He's sitting at the tax booth doing his job. Jesus approaches him and offers him the same invitation that he offered to Peter and Andrew. 
in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19. It's the same invitation that he offered to James and John, the sons of Zebedee, in Matthew 4 and verse 21. It's the same invitation that he offered to an unnamed disciple in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 22. Jesus actively seeks out Matthew the tax collector and extends to him the invitation, follow me. Had Matthew heard about Jesus' reputation at this point in his life? Before this, had he expressed a desire to follow after Jesus? Had he personally listened to Jesus' teaching and preaching? Had he personally seen the amazing miracles that Jesus was capable of? The text doesn't tell us. But what the text does tell us is Matthew's response to Jesus' invitation. Jesus approaches Matthew. He seeks out Matthew, who's sitting at the tax booth, extends to him the invitation, follow me. And what did Matthew do? He arose and followed Jesus. That day, Matthew left the tax booth to never go back to it. Jesus extends the invitation, follow me. Matthew accepts that invitation to the point that in that moment, immediately, he arose, he got up out of the tax booth and followed after Jesus. As a religious person, especially as a religious teacher in the first century world, this would have been a very odd thing for Jesus to do. Do you know why this would be an odd thing for Jesus to do? In the first century world, tax collectors were viewed as some of the worst sinners in existence. People thought about tax collectors as being corrupt and greedy and untrustworthy. And there's a good reason for that. Oftentimes, tax collectors, when they were collecting your taxes, would add a certain percentage on top of it. They'd take that percentage and put it in their own pocket. How would you feel about somebody who did that to you? Probably wouldn't have very good feelings, would you? The Jews especially hated tax collectors because they viewed them as traitors. Tax collectors worked for the Romans, and the Romans were ruling over the Jews at the time. So if you work for a Roman, especially if you're a Jew, you are a traitor. You are betraying the people of God. No Jewish rabbi in the first century world would have done what Jesus did in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9. There is not a single religious leader among the Jews in the first century who would have approached a tax collector sitting in a tax booth and invited him to become one of his disciples. We're going to see how the Pharisees feel about the tax collectors in just a few moments. The religious leaders back in this time wouldn't have touched Matthew with a ten foot pole. Matthew was despised. Matthew was hated. Matthew was looked down on. Everybody in the religious world, in the Jewish religious world, would have saw Matthew as the worst of all sinners. But what did Jesus do? Jesus walks up to the tax booth and He invites him. Jesus walks up to the tax booth and says, follow me. Jesus invites sinners. And I think from that we learn a couple of pretty important ideas. Number one, Jesus invites us as we are. I'm thinking about a faithful Christian lady who's made a tremendous difference in my life. She told me one time that she didn't make a decision to become a Christian until later in life because she felt like she had to have everything together. 
She didn't decide to follow Jesus until later on in her life because she thought everything had to be perfect. She thought everything in her life had to be in the right spot. And then she could follow after Jesus. What she didn't understand is that Jesus invites us as we are. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9, invites Matthew as he is. As Jesus approaches the tax booth, notice what He doesn't say to Matthew. He doesn't say, follow me, but first you need to make some pretty serious changes. Follow me, but first you need to get your life right and you need to quit your job and you need to return all that money that you've taken from people. Follow me, but first your life needs to be perfect. I'll give you a few hours, I'll come back, and if your life is perfect, then you can follow. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus invites Matthew as He is. A sinful tax collector. Quite literally, Matthew is sitting at the tax booth whenever Jesus invites him. And the same is true for us. Jesus invites us as we are. To reference another song, we we sing about this all the time. Just as I am, without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God. I come. I come. As sinners, Jesus invites us as we are. In order to follow Jesus, you don't have to have your life together. In order to follow Jesus, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be sinless. Jesus calls you in the midst of your sin. Jesus calls you in the midst of your guilt and your shame and your brokenness. Jesus calls you, Jesus invites you in the midst of the huge mess that you've made. Isn't that amazing to think about? Jesus knows what I've done. He knows the sins that I've committed. He knows the mess that I've made out of my life. Yet He invites me as I am. But then listen very closely to this next point. Jesus invites us as we are, but He doesn't leave us as we are. Jesus invites Matthew as He is, but He doesn't leave Matthew where He is. He invites Matthew as a sinful tax collector, but Matthew does not remain a sinful tax collector. Continue to read throughout the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 10, verses 2-4, through Matthew the tax collector in verse number 3 became one of the twelve apostles who were hand-selected by Jesus. In the very next verse, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 5, as one of the twelve apostles, Jesus sends Matthew out to various villages to preach the Gospel, to teach about the Kingdom of God, to heal diseases and cast out demons. He gave Matthew, the tax collector, the authority to do those things. Fast forward about three to three and a half years. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Matthew saw the resurrected Lord. He was commissioned by the resurrected Lord to go and make disciples of all nations. And that's exactly what he did. When you read in the book of Acts and you see the apostles did this or the apostles did that, who's there with them? Matthew the tax collector. Matthew was there in Acts chapter 1 in the upper room. Matthew was there in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. He was preaching the Gospel to his fellow Jews. Inviting them to follow after Jesus. Think about the book that we're reading out of. A little bit later in Matthew's life, Matthew wrote down these words that we're studying out of this morning. Jesus invites Matthew as he is, but he doesn't leave him there. And the same thing is true for us. Jesus invites you as you are. You don't have to have everything together in order to follow Jesus. But know that He's not going to leave you there. He loves you way too much to leave you there. 
Jesus invites you as you are, but when you accept His invitation, you better get ready to be changed. You better get ready to be transformed from the inside out. That's what happened to Matthew. And that's what our Lord Jesus continues to do in every single one of our lives on a daily basis. Number one, Jesus invites sinners. Number two, in Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 10, we see that Jesus associates with sinners. Jesus spends time with sinners. When you go to Mark chapter 2 and verse 15, also Luke chapter 5 and verse 29, those two gospel accounts give us a detail that Matthew doesn't give us. Perhaps Matthew leaves out this detail out of modesty and humility. He doesn't want to draw attention to himself. But once Matthew decided to follow Jesus, what did he do? He threw this great banquet in Jesus' honor at his house and supplied everything necessary personally for that banquet. As he throws this great banquet in Jesus' honor, what does he do? He invited, underline it, many. Not some, not a few. He invited many tax collectors and sinners to come to this banquet. Matthew invites people who are just like him. Matthew invites those who were also social and religious outcasts. Those who were on the outskirts of society and religion. He invites them to come to this banquet. Did they come? Well, they came according to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 10. But they didn't just come. The Bible also says that they sat down and reclined at the table with Jesus and His disciples. That was called table fellowship. Back in this time, if you reclined at the table and shared a meal with somebody, that meant that you viewed them pretty highly. You viewed them as important. You viewed them as significant. You viewed them as an equal to you. Think about it in in our world today. I heard a preacher one time say, also a counselor, his name is Lonnie Jones. The youth group listened to him at CYC a week ago today. I heard him say one time, that the most intimate thing you can do with somebody without touching them is to sit down and share a meal with them. Think about it. Whenever a guy and a girl go out on a date, what's one thing that generally happens? They go to a restaurant, they sit down, and they share a meal together. What's Jesus doing? He's sitting down and sharing a meal with many tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is reclining at the table with many tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is associating with sinners. Jesus is spending time with sinners. Jesus is investing with sinners. He's underneath the same roof, sitting at the same table with sinners, not because He approves of them. Not because He endorses what they're doing or He wants to become like them in their sinful ways. No, we'll talk about this more in just a second. Jesus associates with sinners. Why? So that He can save them. So that He can provide them with the healing and the deliverance that they so desperately need. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 10, Jesus associates with sinners. Jesus spends time with sinners. I was talking with, about this lesson with Jacob a few days ago. And, and he reminded me of about a month ago, he and I had the opportunity to sit down with somebody who works at Vanderbilt Hospital. He works in the research part of Vanderbilt Hospital. He researches lung cancer. He told us that the majority of his job, what he does throughout the majority of the week, he sits down with people who smoke in order to ask them questions so that Vanderbilt can then explore the relationship between lung cancer and smoking and how to best treat it. 
This individual, he doesn't spend time with people who smoke because he loves smoking. Or he thinks smoking is a good thing. He associates and spends time with people who smoke so that he can get to know them, so that he can pass on the research to Vanderbilt, and so that Vanderbilt can better help people who find themselves with a very serious illness, lung cancer. Isn't that the way that we should deal with people who are lost? Isn't that the way that we should associate with people who are sinners? If Jesus associated with sinners, if Jesus sat down at the table and ate with sinners, if Jesus was able to invest in many tax collectors and sinners, I want to suggest to you that we should do the same thing. Go back to how we started the lesson just a few minutes ago. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I'm pretty confident that Jesus Christ would sit down at the table with people who are struggling with addiction. I'm pretty confident that Jesus Christ would sit down at the table and He would share a meal with the most active voices in the LGBTQ plus community. I'm pretty confident you pick the prisoner, you pick the inmate. Jesus Christ would sit down and eat with them. He would invest in them. Jesus Christ would sit down at the table with someone who's in poverty, someone who we look down on. Jesus Christ would associate Himself with and share a meal with your worst enemy. And so we're left with the question, if Jesus associates with sinners, then why don't we? If Jesus sat down at the table and He shared a meal with tax collectors and sinners, what gives us the right to avoid them like the plague? If Jesus was willing to invest in many tax collectors and sinners and be underneath the same roof as them, what gives us the right to look down our noses at them in arrogance to think that we're so much better than they are and they're never going to amount to anything? If Jesus was willing to associate with sinners, why do we keep them at an arm's distance? And pretend as if they're not there. And then when we are confronted with them, we, we get angry, we get mad at them for the things that they choose to do. If Jesus Christ was willing to sit down and associate with sinners, then you and I need to be willing to do that too. Oftentimes, we only spend time with people who we're comfortable with. We spend time with people who are like us. They have the same values that we do. They're on the same socioeconomic level as we are. We only associate with people who we're comfortable with. Jesus associated with sinners. Why aren't we? As Christians, we should be those who spend time with those who are lost. Not because we endorse what they're doing. Not because we want to become like them. But because we want to bring them to the only one who can make them whole. Which brings us to our third idea in this text. The idea that Jesus calls sinners. In verses 11 and 12. We mentioned the religious leaders just a little bit ago. In verse number 11, they get word of what Jesus is doing. Jesus is sitting down at a tax collector's house and eating a meal, sharing a meal, sharing table fellowship with many tax collectors and sinners. And they start to criticize Him for that. When you look in Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 11, the Pharisees saw this. They said to His disciples, now maybe they were too scared to talk to Jesus directly about this at this point. Or maybe Jesus is so busy ministering to those who are lost, they can't even get to Jesus. And so they asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
He's a righteous man, isn't he? He claims to be a person, a teacher sent from God. Why is he associating with people like that? Why is he sitting down at the table with people like that? Does he not know who they are? Does he not know what they've done? A righteous person, a teacher from God, would never spend a single moment with people like that. Jesus is associating with these people. The Pharisees step in on the scene and they're critical of him for doing that. They're not speaking to Jesus directly, but Jesus speaks to them directly. When Jesus heard what they were saying, he responded to what they were saying. What did he say? We said a couple of different things. First, Jesus, in response to the Pharisees' criticism, points to His own purpose and mission. Why did Jesus come to earth? What was Jesus' purpose? What was Jesus' mission? When do you go to a doctor? You go to a doctor when you're sick. You don't go to a doctor whenever you're well. You go to a doctor whenever you're sick. You go to a doctor whenever you need the doctor. As the great physician... Jesus is on earth, not for those who are well, but for those who are sick. As the great physician, Jesus is not on earth for those who are not willing to admit their sickness. He's on earth for those who are willing to admit their sickness so that He can bring healing to them. Now strip away that metaphor. What is Jesus saying? Look at the end of verse 13. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus didn't come to earth to call those who are self-righteous, those who are righteous in their own eyes, those who are able to stand on their own two feet, like the Pharisees standing in front of Him. Jesus came to earth to call who? To call sinners. That's what Jesus was all about. That's why our Savior came from heaven to earth. That was Jesus' purpose and mission during His earthly ministry. Luke says, to seek and to save the lost. Here we find to call sinners. So first Jesus points to His purpose and His mission, but then He also invites the Pharisees to evaluate themselves. See, the Pharisees knew the Old Testament Scriptures really well. Jesus points out to them a verse, Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6, that they had read thousands of times, but they didn't understand its meaning. In Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6, God says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Now, the Pharisees were really good at sacrifice. They were really good at making sure they paid attention to the small details of the Old Testament law. But in paying attention to the small details of the Old Testament law, they missed one of the overarching principles in Scripture. They missed one of the key characteristics in the personality of God. And that's mercy. Jesus looks at the Pharisees as if to say, are you really being critical of this? Are you really being critical of me having mercy on and sitting down and eating with tax collectors and sinners? You need to go back to the Scriptures. You need to go back to Hosea and to learn more about God. You need to go learn more about what God desires. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Now, it's not that God doesn't want sacrifice or that sacrifice is unimportant, but this is about preference. God says, I would rather you show mercy to people then make sure you check all the boxes and get all the small details. He says, I would rather you have compassion on people and to have conviction for people than to make sure that you sacrifice to me and to make sure you get that exactly right. It's a self-evaluation. Jesus looks at the Pharisees to say, are you desiring what God desires? Are you sharing in who God is in His very nature? 
Jesus invites sinners. Jesus associates with sinners. Jesus calls sinners. Are we ever critical of that? You see a Christian associating with somebody who you deem to be a sinner. A brother or sister in Christ associating with somebody who's lost. Somebody who might have done some terrible things. We start to ask questions, don't we? Well, why would they want to spend time with somebody like that? Why would he or she want to sit down at the table and eat with people like them? Do they know the things that person has done? Do they know that person's reputation? Are, are, are you telling me that this Christian is willing to go into this person's dirty, smelly, and filthy house and to spend time with them? A righteous person would never spend time with people like that. A follower of Jesus would never associate with people like that. Have you ever found yourself in the Pharisee's shoes? Have you ever been critical when you see sinners taking steps closer to Jesus? How does Jesus respond to that? Why are we here? What's our purpose? What's our mission? We're talking about in this series of lessons, what? Following Jesus? If we're following Jesus, claiming to follow Jesus, and we're not sharing in His mission, are we actually following Jesus? If Jesus was on earth to heal those who were sick, shouldn't we be those who point sick souls to the great physician? If Jesus came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, the other parallel gospel accounts say, shouldn't that be our purpose too? Shouldn't that be our mission too? Not to call the righteous, but to call sinners so that they can come to know Christ? Whenever we see sinners taking steps closer to Jesus and we're critical, we're not understanding why we're here. We're not understanding our purpose. We're not understanding our mission. And in reality, we're not really following Jesus. And so it takes some self-evaluation. In the churches of Christ, the churches that belong to Christ, I believe with all my heart we worship in the way the New Testament teaches. I believe with all of my heart that we are organized in the way the New Testament instructs. I believe that we teach the way of salvation that the New Testament in teaches, that the New Testament presents to us, and I wouldn't change a detail of that. But have we got so caught up in the small details that we're missing one of the key themes of Scripture? Have we got so caught up in sacrifice that we're missing out on one of the characteristics of God's nature, the characteristic of mercy? Can you imagine what Jesus would say to us whenever He sees us being critical of sinners taking steps closer to Jesus? Really? Are you not understanding your purpose? Are you not understanding your mission? Do you, do you not understand what Scripture teaches? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Again, God's not saying that the small details aren't important. He's not saying that sacrifice is not important. He's talking about preference here. He says, I would rather you show mercy to people than make sure your sacrifices are right. I would rather you have compassion on people than make sure that you hit all the small details and check every single box. He says, I would rather you have a conviction for lost souls than come together every Lord's Day and be like a country club. We can pat ourselves on the back for doing everything right, doing everything the way the New Testament teaches. Follow me. That's an invitation not for the elite. 
That's an invitation for sinners. And we need to be comfortable with that. We need to acknowledge that. We need to know that Jesus invites sinners. We need to know that Jesus associates with sinners. That He calls sinners. And then to be confronted with a couple questions as we close. Are we willing to accept Jesus' invitation? There's not a person in here who hasn't sinned according to the Scriptures. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you're not a Christian, then you're a sinner. If you are a Christian, you're not a sinner. Scripture doesn't talk about you that way. If you've given your life to Jesus, you're no longer a sinner. You've been made holy and righteous by the blood of Christ. But if you're not a Christian this morning, you are a sinner. But there's good news. Jesus invites you as you are. Jesus invites you in the midst of that shame, that guilt, that sin. He invites you in the midst of that brokenness. To follow after Him. Are you willing to accept that invitation into your heart and into your life? If you have accepted that invitation into your life by being baptized for the forgiveness of sins, then a second question, the next step, are you willing to extend that invitation to others? Are you showing the mercy to people that God desires? Are you here to call sinners to repentance? Are you here to point lost souls to the only one who can make them whole, the only one who can provide them with healing? Are you spending time with people who don't know the Lord so that they can come to know the Lord? The blessed Gospel is for all. The Gospel is for all. Where sin is gone, must go is grace. The Gospel is for all. Are you willing to accept Jesus' invitation into your life? Are you willing to extend that invitation to others? And really what that all goes back to is do you actually believe it? Do you actually believe that the Gospel is for all? As together we stand and sing.